Okay, and we are live. Welcome to the second episode of our series, How to Become Fluent in English, where you learn how to dramatically improve the four main skills of English, being reading, writing, listening, and speaking. So we're blessed to be joined with one of the best English communication coaches out there who is going to give you guys practical advice on how to become more efficient or the most efficient ways to become fluent in English. So before we jump in, if you're watching this on YouTube and you'd like to support the platform, you can simply do that by liking the video because it's going to help the YouTube algorithm spread the message to other people who are also trying to improve their English skills. So, Ivana, where did you grow up and why did you decide to become an English communication coach? Right. So, hi, everyone. Thank you for having me, Avery. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I grew up in a bunch of different places, but I've lived in Toronto the longest, for the longest period of time. Um, so Toronto, for those who don't know, it's a southeast part of Ontario. I've also lived in Edmonton, Alberta, which is in the western part of Canada, much colder, less people, <laughs> and I was much younger. Uh, I also lived in Germany while I was uh, very young because I was born there. And I've lived in Bosnia, um, the Serbian part of Bosnia, which is where my family's from. So I've been able to experience kind of drastically different cultures. Um, and the reason I became a teacher, I would say, is because I really just like helping people. Um, I like seeing them succeed. I like seeing them, you know, be happy and overcome obstacles that they had or maybe misconceptions. Um, so that really is the core of everything that I do. Okay, that's sweet. And I was going to say your name sounded sort of um, Eastern European. So uh, <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. There it is, Serbian. Yeah. So, um, and how many languages do you know? Is English the only language you know? Or are you well versed in other languages as well? Yeah, so I speak Serbian fluently. Um, I speak read and write because I went to school there. Um, I went to middle school there. And um, basically, if you understand Serbian, you understand almost all the languages of that region. So that would include like Croatian, Montenegrin, Bosnian. They're all pretty much the same. I can understand a bit of the other Eastern European languages. Like if I listen to Ukrainian, Slovenian, or Russian sometimes. Um, but aside from that, I know a bit of French and Spanish, but I'm not, I wouldn't title myself, you know, fluent in those. <laughs> Canadian French or European French? <laughs> Um, well, we learned uh, European French because I went to a French campus in Toronto, like for my university degree, and it was mandatory to take French courses there. I wasn't really excited about that um, just because I started learning it in like grade eight, which was pretty late because I came to Toronto then. So I was already having so much anxiety about the language that when I was like, oh, my God, I have to take university courses, I thought, great. But um, yeah, it was European French. So I, I do prefer that variety, definitely. No yeah, offense. I would, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no offense to the, uh, no, no, I'm Anglophone. So I don't, it doesn't offend right. me. But, right. but yeah, right. I'm, I'm sure it would offend some other people here. though. But uh, that's neither here nor there. So <laughs> now to jump in here. So through your anecdotal experience, what would you say is the most common challenge that you see English learners face through your experience? 
Um, probably uh, communicating with confidence when they're speaking. So speaking is the most difficult communication skill in every language because it's in real time, because you don't have the chance to look something up, translate it, think about it, edit it, right? It has to happen then and there in that same second. So I would definitely think the greatest obstacle is, you know, overcoming those doubts um, and just kind of speaking whatever comes to mind without second guessing yourself and without, you know, freaking out in the moment. So that would be, I think, very, very common for English learners. Okay, I see. So if I'm a Serbian person and I don't have very much confidence speaking English, okay. how would you advise me? What advice would you give to me to become more confident? Right. I would say that you have to practice it constantly. You have to immerse yourself in a language in every way. If you don't live in an English speaking environment, you have to find resources that allow you to immerse yourself in it. Right. You can't simply take an English course and expect your proficiency to suddenly you know, excel. It has to be on a daily basis. It has to be consistent and it has to be purposeful. So for every resource that you use or every service you invest in, you have to have a purpose, you have to have goals, and you have to do it consistently. So it's very strategic. Um, obviously, it requires a lot of willingness, um, but it can't just be, it's not black and white, and it's not easy either. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I even tell people who ask me for advice too on Instagram and whatnot, um, I say, even if it's minimal, just yeah. make sure that it's basically a prerequisite to be consistent right? and do it pretty much every day. And then, of course, what you said, purposeful, too. Um, if you're trying to learn out of vanity, it's going to be a lot more difficult to learn it than if you actually need it to um, yeah. travel, immigrate or for a real purpose. So that's exactly. definitely something to think about as well. But um, what did you what would you say is more important when it comes to learning the english language here would you say it's working hard or working smart i thought about this a lot and i've gotten this question before and i think it's very difficult to prioritize one over the other because i think that if you want to be successful in anything in life it requires hard work it doesn't necessarily have to mean repetitive redundant work that is just meaningless. It has to be, again, purposeful. You have to work hard at it, but you also have to find ways that work for you and ways that will benefit you um, quickly, efficiently, and that apply to your goals, right? So I think that it's definitely a combination of working both hard and working smart. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it's a good idea to prioritize when it comes to language learning, at least. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think there's really any way to get around it. You will have to do hard and smart. It's just important to have a system in place that right. is realistic to the amount of time you have. Yeah. So an example of working smart might be, um, it's a little bit creepy, but I did this a lot when I had to learn French too, is if you're at a bus stop or public transportation and someone's speaking the language next to you, you could even try listening into the conversation or yes. something. And that's, that's something you're doing passively, like as you're just yes. commuting. So if you can do things, if you can be really flexible with your time like that and just find little ways to improve it every day like that over a long stretch of time, it's you'll yeah. see a difference for sure.
Yeah. So getting creative, really, mm -hmm. like it's like there are so many, so many resources out there in both real life interactions and online. Now, how many, you know, websites do we have, blogs, podcasts like yours, for example, right? So, yeah, that's part of working smart, just finding everything that's available to you. Definitely. And then let's touch on grammar here. So how much emphasis would you put on learning English grammar? Would you say that um, technical grammar skills are necessary to become fluent in English? I do think grammar is important, um, but I also at the same time find that many educators place too much emphasis on it. Um, so, for example, I've been more exposed to this through Instagram and through social media. You know, teachers will constantly um, emphasize grammar, which can tend to be a little bit boring because that's what we are constantly being taught in school. And it's what is taught in a very disengaging way. So I have... I'm very 50-50 about grammar. I think it's fundamental to learning a language, but I don't think too much emphasis should be placed on it because we need to learn real-life interactions. We need to learn slang. We need to learn um, idioms, expressions, phrases that will help us in everyday life, right? So I think grammar is important, but it's not something that you should necessarily begin with, and it's not something that you should stay hung up on um, most of the time. Okay, I was gonna say I think we got a disagreement here because <laughs> I I would always say people should start with grammar. Right. In my opinion, um, I would just say because well, with that being said, it does depend on the language because I'm not gonna pretend like English grammar is the same as a bunch of other languages as well. Right, like French, which is my anecdotal experience, some right. grammars are more complicated than others. However, I'd say that. Um, if you can learn the grammar and if you could have a deep understanding of the differences between your native language and the English language, I just think right. that's going to make practicing all of the other skills like a hundred times easier. I right. think um, if you try to develop your speaking skills, you try to develop your listening skills and whatnot without um, an understanding for the rules of the language, the grammatical rules of the language, I think um, some people will find it much, much longer It'll right. take a much longer time to um, develop their skills in the language. That's my right. opinion. Right. Yeah. It also depends. Like, I get where you're coming from there because I've had students who do truly enjoy grammar and they do prefer it. Right. So it depends on their learning style, too. Some people really do like that. They prefer being learning maybe from a book before they have a conversation like a, on a club or in a group or something like that. Right. So it depends on your learning style, too. Yeah, that's definitely true. People do learn differently. And even you'd hear stories, too, about people becoming fluent in languages right. without really knowing how to read or write or even know the grammar. So there's definitely you can find <laughs> yeah. you can find exceptions to the rule. But yeah, um, yeah totally. For sure. And then um, if you had to advise somebody. What is the best way to improve your English grammar? Where would they begin? What's the best mm -hmm. method, would you say? Well, what I really love, like what I've loved as a child, and this is actually how I learned English. I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I learned English when I was five because I came to Canada at that age. And I was basically in senior kindergarten and my 
safe space was the little library corner. So I would always go into, we had a little carpet. This was like the late nineties and uh, we had a little TV there and a bunch of books, right? So I didn't understand obviously the language nor did I know how to read, right? Everybody was slowly learning phonics then either way but they still spoke English because they grew up here, right? So what I would do is I would open up a book, I would find the most simple one and I would do picture to word association. So I loved having visuals, right? So what I always suggest to even adult learners is picture books. I know it sounds weird and there's stigmas around that. Oh, I'm not a child. I'm an adult and it's an ego and a pride thing. But I think that picture books and literature will help you with vocabulary expansion um, to improve your grammar. Um, it can even help you like reflect on life and learn about themes and literary devices. It's just so there's so many different things you can learn from storybooks and from different forms of literature that I think that that would definitely benefit their proficiency. Yeah, definitely. I, I say, I'd say I agree with that. And then, um, yeah, the way that I would, the way that I learned French, I guess I'd say it was really just a grammar book, but it all depends on the stage of life you're into because the yeah. way that a child's going to learn is going to be totally different from the way an adult learns. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's definitely true. And then before we touch on reading, we have a chat here from Flo. Mm -hmm. Greetings from Germany. Okay. Shout out Germany. And okay. talking about, let's talk about reading. So do you believe that advanced reading skills are as important as they used to be? now that we have modern day technology. And when I say advanced reading skills, what I mean is in school, at least for me at Winnipeg, where I come from, we would learn advanced reading skills like poetry and Shakespeare. And obviously reading subtitles on a TV show is gonna be yeah. a lower level than reading a, a novel or something like that with more complicated themes. Would you say that advanced reading skills are still really necessary for someone who's trying to learn English as a second language? I, I mean, I love reading, so I, I do, I might give you a biased response, right? <laughs> because I love reading everything. And I think that um, if I want to directly answer that question, I think people read less and less because it's less mandatory. And I think that there are so many different, you know, artificial intelligence platforms that can help you even like they read out words to you, they read you books, they you know, they help you read in a way that our parents per se never got the chance to experience, right? So I think that advanced reading skills might not be as necessary in today's day and age, and they might become less necessary over time. But I think that reading skills nonetheless are so important for different aspects of a language. Like, again, expanding your vocabulary and all the things that I'd mentioned before. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a good way to expand your vocabulary. I would just wonder to what degree people should learn it. And then also if let's say again, I'm a Serbian guy again, and let's say that I didn't necessarily need to know English for school. I was going to do it all in Serbian. And I also didn't necessarily need to know English for work. Um, I do most of it in Serbian, but I still want to learn English. I just want to learn as a second language. It's good to have. Right. How would you, 
at what level do you think I should work my in, my reading skills up to? Like, uh, how would you advise me to get my reading skills to a level that's good enough to get by, but um, not necessarily very advanced? Right. I mean, if we're looking at particularly resources that require reading, I would say ones that help you with basic conversational skills. So vocabulary items that you'll need to know if you want to travel to an English speaking country, or maybe one day you're going to converse with someone who speaks English. And the chances of that are extremely high almost anywhere, right? Um, because of globalization, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I think that it's important for learners to understand, hey, what how will this be useful to me? In which instances or contexts will I use English? And then find uh, books that kind of reflect that, right? So obviously not choosing something that's too advanced, not reading Shakespeare because <laughs> that person clearly won't be using it uh, to that extent or that level. So yeah, definitely what do I need in which context will I need it? And then finding resources that reflect that vocabulary. Yeah, I definitely say that for any skill, just the resource you use, it should definitely be relevant to your lifestyle, yes, for sure. Exactly. Or at least you should start with that um, yeah. it, for your active vocabulary, of course. Right. Then we have another chat here from Flo again. I'd like to improve my English in the area of communication skills. Well, Flo, we're going to talk about that. We're going to touch about that a bit later in yeah. this uh, interview. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just like we said, um, as you're improving communication skills or any skill really just make sure that it's relevant to your lifestyle don't get too hung up over things that you can't realistically see yourself using in your day-to-day -day yeah. life yeah okay and to talk let's touch on um writing here so going back to technology again mm -hmm. did you say that technical writing skills would you say that they're still relevant with the advancement of technology, we have spell check, we have autocorrect, we have this thing on your phone where it predicts the end of your sentence. You don't really need to type it all out. It'll just fill it, auto fill in the next yeah. word for you. I use that in French. It's kind of cheating, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so do, yeah. do you think writing skills are still that necessary in today's day and age, especially for a Generation Z yeah. person coming up? Yeah. So, uh, I have students that are in elementary school and middle school too, and they use all those platforms that you just mentioned. And the problem with those is that because there's not a lot of constructive feedback there, what do I mean? When they make a mistake when they're writing, the correction's just given to them, and students most often than not don't read what mistake it is they made, and how they can correct it and why they need to correct it. So there's not a lot of critical thinking being involved there or reflective thinking. It's just very quick corrections and it doesn't actually involve learning, right? It's just like if you have a teacher who tells you, oh, you're wrong and this is the right answer. Okay, but why am I wrong, right? How am I supposed to learn to not do this again unless I learn why what I said was wrong and how I can improve it, right? So is it necessary? To know um, in the modern day, like job industry, maybe not, but for yourself as a person, if you want to be like a reflexive learner, it's all up to you. Do, is it important to you, right? 
is it important for the job market? Maybe not, but independently, if we're thinking for ourselves, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Then that goes back to what we said. Um, are you realistically going to use those skills for your work, for school, for whatever it is that you need to do? Exactly. Um, is it important to you? But um, do you believe that there should be a balance, do you think, between the old school methodology and the new school methodology when it comes to writing skills? Or do you believe that the old way of doing things should just get abandoned altogether and chucked? I mean, with everything, it seems that old ways are slowly, slowly, slowly being diminished with almost like everything in language. Like even if we look at traditional teaching methods or traditional learning methods or traditional resources, it's slowly, slowly being diminished. Right. So I like a balance with everything in life. I like a balance. I like to have both because I think that there are ups and downs to both sides. But I think the way the world is, you know, evolving I think that the old methods will very soon be completely. Do you think that's a good or bad thing? I would like opinion. a balance. I would like a balance. So I would say if we're, uh, you know, putting a title, I would say it's a bad thing per se. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I'd say. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Um, when it comes to writing skills, I'd say that it's still necessary to have that for work. You're going to be composing emails. You want to have good grammar, just communication right. skills in general. I also think that writing skills actually complement your speaking skills. Yep. I think if you can paint a better picture in your head, you're just going to be able to communicate in conversation better as well. Right. So um, I'd say that it is still relevant and you should still know how to do it. I think writing in English is easier than some other languages to a degree or, well, I won't say easier. I'll say it's different. Um you're right, though. It is. Yeah. Easier. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So to a certain extent, you don't have to be like a po super like a poetic guru. and yeah. yeah, like a guru. Exactly. But um, you should still have the uh, bare minimum, at least the bare minimum. Definitely. And then before we talk about listening, mm. Flo has another chat again. <laughs> Let's see Thank here. You, Flo. <laughs> Recently, I set up a charity foundation and I realized that I need to make some public speech presentation, etc. I see. Okay. Well, with public speeches, the good thing is you can actually prepare for that. <laughs> so Literally. That's nice. yeah. yeah. You can prepare, you can recite it. And as you're reciting it, I've, I used to do this too when I learned other languages too. When you actually recite it, you train your mouth to pronounce the words. You train your mouth to get repetition. Yes. And if you, the more you do this... Um, passively actually you're just going to be a better speaker um it's going to feel like second nature when you say certain things or say certain words in really any situation you'll find yourself in so yeah. um getting those extra repetitions that's it can never hurt you yeah and flow if you want to ever record yourself um it's always great to you know just plop your phone right in front of you and practice that speech and then look at your recording afterwards and you know, you're your best critic, you're the most hard on yourself, the most critical, which can sometimes be, you know, a negative thing. But in this case, you're able to see how other people see you. So pay attention to your body language, your posture, uh, your intonation, which words you want to stress. So just keep practicing and then use your own feedback until you reach that like desired outcome. Uh, well said. And when it comes to listening, so mm -hmm. 
here's the good stuff here. This is what everybody wants to know, right? How do I understand fast spoken English? You know, I want to be able to understand how the native English speakers speak, how the fluent yes. English speakers speak. I want to be able to understand it easily. Right, right. How does one understand fast spoken English? Right. So I'll use my parents as an example for this because, I mean, they were ESL, right? Um, they came here in their 30s. So even though they learned English in, you know, in school, it's not the same as when you come into a real life environment where English is the first spoken language. So what they would do and what I noticed worked for them and some of my other students is watching videos and then, yes, having subtitles, but having the option maybe through um, YouTube, obviously that came later on, but being able to rewind and then rewatch it simultaneously as you're listening to the person speak. So it's great to associate, again, words with the spoken language, and you can even, you know, change the playback to make it slower and then rewatch it again as the person speaking fluently at a very fast pace. So the more that you listen, like we mentioned before, the more you're accustomed to different ways of speaking, different accents, even in English and varieties. So I think that those two work well together. Yeah, definitely. And to add to it, I'd say it really helps if you can associate imagery with what yes. you're hearing, as opposed to actually translating it word for word in your head, because yeah. more often than not, probably 90% of the time, the, the translation is not going to be perfect from one no. language to another. No, and Google so, Translate proves that. Yeah. So uh, imagery definitely trumps translations. Yes. Unless you're yeah. a pro translator. So, <laughs> right. And then, uh, would you say it's necessary to understand? Would you say it's necessary to understand a variety of different mm -hmm. accents in the English language? Or do you think you should just focus on the one that's going to be the principal accent in your location? So, let's say I'm Serbian again, moving to London. London you should England. just move there, Avery. Should. Like, <laughs> forget Montreal. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know enough about Serbia. Wouldn't know the language. I, I don't think I'd fit in for some reason. But uh, <laughs> so if if I were to move, if I'm a Serbian guy moving to London, England, right? should I just learn British English or should I make an effort to understand some of the different accents of the English language? Yeah, so it's always great to be in everything in life a well-rounded person, right? Why would you want to limit yourself to certain varieties when English, because it's a globalized language, because it's spoken in so many first, second and now third world countries. Right. And business is conducted in English everywhere, too. Why limit yourself to only British English, for example, because you might come across even if you live in England. What if you come across somebody who speaks, I don't know, Jamaican English, so Patois, if you come across an Indian English speaker, right, or someone from Southeast Asia or Australia, right? Limiting yourself will limit your opportunities and it will limit your communication as well. So expose yourself to as many varieties as you can. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's tons of different, there's probably hundreds, if not a thousand Scottish, different languages in the world. I mean yeah if um i'd say that when you're talking about the english language in particular because it's such a popular language and it's yes. so universal it would make sense to understand the different accents because if you go to any major city there's going to be diversity and with that diversity yes. you're going to come across a lot of different people from different places 
And even people who don't speak English as a first language, right. it'll help understand them as well. Now, right. if you're talking about a language that's smaller, like a language that's like exclusive to one small country in the world, that's a different story. Maybe there's only right. one dialect, but if you want to talk about right. English, you want to talk about Mandarin, Arabic, there's going to be many different dialects for popular popular languages like that. So right. Um, right. It, I've had some people disagree with this. They say, well, if I'm going to London, I should just know British terminology. But I, in my opinion, I disagree because I'd say, um, especially London, I think that's one of the most diverse places in the world. So I yes. think you're doing yourself a disservice if um, you don't learn exactly. or, or at least passively learn the different accents. It comes with experience. Right. And for like, sure. for example, we live in different provinces of Canada. So if somebody, somebody were to come and visit Canada and let's say you're saying, oh, I'm going to live in Vancouver. I got, I don't know, a student or a work visa. Great. So what if somebody from Halifax or from, I don't know, somebody from New Brunswick or Quebec comes in and they start speaking English? That's a completely different accent, different slang, different varieties. You go to the States you have people from the south, from the east, and from the west that all have also different varieties, right? Even British English is not all the same. So that's another thing. Again, absolutely, it does you a disservice if you want to choose to only focus on one. Yeah, no, I agree. I completely agree. And then uh, before we talk about speaking here, which is what most people want to know the most. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Flo, we got another chat from Flo here. I speak English with a French accent, but it disturbs me a lot. Um, well, yeah, that's difficult. And I'm not going to lie to you, Flo. Um, a lot of people will be judgmental if people speak with an accent. It's it's a pretty igno ignorant thing to do. But yeah. unfortunately, the real world is not uh, sunshines and rainbows. <laughs> so there will be judgmental people. So you really just need to... Um, find it in yourself to overcome that the way i overcome being afraid of my accent and whatnot is i at first it's a little bit embarrassing but then i think again and i think i might not never see this person in my life again or when this person goes to bed at night i go to bed at night they have their own life they have their own issues they won't actually care no. um just it's not as big a deal as you might think it is and once you stop caring about um that outcome, I guess, or the judgment of others. Once you can put yourself in that mindset, then I think um, you'll you'll start to care less yourself about your accent. You'll start speaking more confidently because um, you're not so hung up on the outcome you want to have of speaking perfect English. You're just accepting what it is yes. and uh, making peace with that. I guess. Yeah. I hope I explained that simply. But totally. what do you think? I mean, I'm thinking linguistically. Like if we. It, I mean, Flo, if you learned English at, you know, later on in life and French, I guess, is one of your first languages, I believe they also said they were living in Germany. So um, that's interesting. But if you learned it later on in life, um, it's super difficult phonetically to say certain sounds right in a second language because your mouth tongue, teeth are not accustomed to saying those sounds. Right. So if we're looking at French versus English, um, and you're trying to improve that accent, I would say the main thing to focus on linguistically is how you um, execute the sound, the letter R, right? So obviously it's more like glottal for French and it's, it comes more forward for English, it's rounded. And then also um, which 
syllable are you placing stress on in a word and in a sentence? So that also can right away tell a person, oh, French is their first language. So look at where you place stress, intonation, and how you um, pronounce the letter R in English. There you go, Flo. And for speaking, so here's the good stuff. This is what everybody wants to know. How do I speak English like a native English speaker? How do I speak fluently? How do I jump into any group of English people and just comfortably speak English like they do? So do, in your opinion, do you believe that someone can significantly improve their speaking skills on their own without necessarily being immersed in an English speaking region? Or around other English-speaking people? I think that's very difficult. Um, and I'll tell you why. This is my reasoning. The more that you use all of your senses to learn a language, the easier it becomes to be fluent. So for example, if I'm being immersed in English, I would hear it, I would speak it, and I would execute it right through writing. So that's part of the immersion process. Um, if I'm only by myself, I also don't get any feedback. And without feedback from a native or from a non-native um, English speaker, because there are so many amazing English teachers whose English is not their first language, right? Any kind of feedback that you get will significantly help you, right? You need to have a second point of view, another perspective of what you're doing wrong and where you can improve, right? So I think it's possible, maybe over a long period of time, but I think it's much more difficult than being immersed. How about you? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree for the most part with that. I think that technically it's possible, but it's gonna be like 10 times harder for sure. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, even in Canada, as you know, French is part of our school curriculum. Yeah. Um, I come from Winnipeg and nobody speaks French in Winnipeg, really. Even, even here. Yeah. Like <laughs> even a lot of the French people there don't even speak French that much unless it's yeah. like with their immediate family members. So right. um, I, I never actually legitimately learned the language until I immersed myself here in Montreal and started yeah. having to actually work in French and was forced to. So it's not impossible uh, if you have time on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> If you have a lot of time on your hands to really just take a deep dive in, spend like eight hours or more every single day and stuff. But um, realistically, for most people who spend most of their time working or most of their time in school, right? I think that um, immersion is going to make it a million times more efficient than yes. not being immersed, for sure. For sure. And there's ways that you can still learn it and increase improve your proficiency in English overseas with mm -hmm. online resources. Um, but experience trumps everything. Right. Uh, with everything. real life, real life application, real life experience that trumps everything. Yeah. It's just like when you're studying and you're, you're completing a degree and then you actually get a co-op or a practicum, you're like, wow, this is real life. That's mm. where you really, really get that, those skills going. Right. Definitely. And knowing when to switch up between formal, informal, maybe combine the both in a certain conversation as well. I do that all the time for work, even in formal settings. You'll speak a little slang just to lighten the mood, whatever. Exactly. exactly. But uh, do you believe that an accent, 
do you believe that an accent is possible or impossible to get rid of in your opinion so i'm gonna just go based off of research so research shows so far that it depends when you learn the language so if you learn a second language if you begin learning a second language and speaking it consistently after the age of about 25 it's very difficult to get rid of that accent very difficult unless you specifically target those linguistic aspects i just spoke of right so i have to improve this sound or this and actually getting somebody to help you right so speech pathologists for example um i think it's very difficult to get rid of but there is also such a stigma around accents and i dislike when students reach out to me and say i really want to speak like a native speaker and i want to sound like you and i want to be you know i want to know american english perfectly but for me with any second language especially when i was learning spanish i just wanted people to understand me and i wanted to understand others that was my main goal if i'm able to speak closer to their variety great i was like okay perfect i'm getting better but it wouldn't make me feel, you know, it wouldn't dishearten me. I wouldn't feel hurt if I didn't get that perfect accent. So try to not make that your goal um, because it's it's discouraging if you don't get there. And maybe you just, it's not possible at your age. Maybe you're, I don't know, 40, 50 years old and that's fine, right? As long as you are understood and you understand others, that communication process won't be tainted. Yeah, definitely. And I'd say... Um... You can definitely improve your accent, but I wouldn't say that it's realistic to 100% eliminate it, especially if yeah. you spent 20 to 30 years speaking another language, and then right. all of a sudden you want to switch to English. Well, think about it. Like you've been learning English maybe for five years, but you've been speaking the other for 30 or yeah. something like that, or 20. So it's not super realistic to completely eliminate it because it's part of your identity. Right. But um, you can definitely improve it to the point where you can be understood more clearly. Mm -hmm. than um, you could be understood before. And this might be an unorthodox take, but I'd say like, you don't even necessarily need to change your accent. You can kind of own it. At yeah. least here in Canada, well, in Canada, it's more liberal. So yeah. like, we would actually think you're really cool if you have an accent. <laughs> but um, I I'm not going to lie. There are parts of the world where they'll judge you for having an accent because so it's many. super homogenous countries. Everybody yeah. looks the same, walks the same, talks the same. So yeah. it might be different there. But in liberal countries like Canada and parts of America as well, right? Um, people will actually think you're cool <laughs> for having yeah. an accent on the contrary. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So just have a little bit of social awareness where you are too. And yeah. um, I if that's something that you might feel insecure about, um, you might not need to in certain parts of the world. And move to Canada, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like promoting immigration. Exactly. <laughs> Tourism Canada should uh, sponsor me for this. Literally. So we have a few chats here. So uh -huh. Kent Clark, how do you control your grammar in almost instantaneous context of speaking? So I'm going to keep that answer super simple for you. Um, keep it simple. You don't yes. need to overcomplicate the way that you communicate things. You can communicate things in a very simple manner, yeah. with very basic rudimentary grammar. You don't need to, I know you might have learned several different grammatical rules. I promise you, you don't need to apply them, at least when you're speaking. Very yeah. good to understand on the receiving end, but when you're on the speaking end, you don't need to 
overcomplicate everything to sound more sophisticated or anything like that. Yeah. And he, he has a he has a second part to the question uh -huh. before I let you give your two cents here. Um, I mean, you have to generate your language right away. And it's very tough with all the grammar knowledge to be able to choose the most appropriate structure for a tense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that goes again, stick to the basics, know the basics really, really, really well, all the other stuff. It's good for your passive vocabulary, good to receive on the receiving end. But when you're speaking, you can just really just keep it simple. Yeah. You don't have to overcomplicate yeah. things. Totally. I mean, students get stuck on a certain word that they want to use. And maybe, you know, they're listening to the speaker and they're like, okay, I know what I'm going to respond. Because usually second language learners, like they'll they'll think of a response as the person speaking because they want to be prepared right in the moment. And then when the word wants to come out, they're like, oh, it's it's at the tip of their tongue, right? And they get stuck on that word. Why not expand your vocabulary before that and maybe use, like you said, simplified synonyms? So finding alternatives, right? Don't get stuck on that certain word. Don't think you have to say that specific thing or that new grammatical, I don't know, that tense that you learned. Just keep it simple. And then as your vocabulary expands, as you become more proficient, then you can start using those advanced terms. It definitely, and even as a native English speaker, um, if I hear somebody use a cool word, word that I like, I'm age 26. If I hear someone use a cool word that I like, I might adopt it at age 26 and just pick yeah. it up and put it into my vocabulary. Um, yeah. That just comes with experience. If I hear someone tell a joke that I found funny or something, it'll inspire me to create a joke that's similar. Like it's, yeah. it's just stuff that um, you can pick up so, yeah, that's, it's a constant learning process. Exactly. It's a lifelong journey. Exactly. Yeah. It never stops, even for native English speakers. So yeah. don't get too hung up on that. And then um, Flo has another comment here. So in my opinion, it's difficult to get rid of your accent, but you can improve it. Exactly. Just like we touched on. Um, you can definitely improve it. Um, but of course, if you spent 20 years speaking a language, it's not super realistic to get rid of it, in a, at least in a yeah. short period of time. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. And let's talk about, let's touch on conversation a little bit here. So mm. do you believe that you need to be proficient in all four skills in English being reading, writing, speaking, and listening mm -hmm. in order to um, be an effective communicator in English? Do you think all four of those skills have to come together in tandem to be an effective communicator? I would say yes, because I think, I mean, if we use that word effective, I think effectiveness in terms of a language that you're learning would come in all forms, right? Because if I'm an effective speaker and then I have to write, am I really an effective communicator unless that skill is also, you know, unless I'm a proficient in that skill as well. So I would say this is generally the the process that I suggest. So it would be listening, then it would be reading, then it would be writing, and then it would be speaking. Because language is learned, even our first language, through listening, right? So you have to have some kind of internalization in order to have externalization afterwards, right? Um, I would say, yeah, all four skills are, are necessary. What do you think, Avery? I would agree. I would agree that all four need to come together. Um... I made that mistake when doing language learning too, where I would just focus on the speaking and listening part because that's really what I want to do the most out of kind of out of vanity, to be honest. 
Yeah. So, um, but then when I went back and reformed my whole grammar, learned how to write properly, learned how to read properly, structure sentences properly, it really put all the pieces of the puzzle together in my head and yeah. just made me like in a million times better communicator in the other language. So it's, um, I would definitely agree with that for sure. And then um, do you think that one could develop their communication skills without the help of others necessarily? Do you think they could make a system or make a program, a self-study program where they could significantly improve their communication skills without using other people? No, I don't think that. Mm. I'll tell you why. I don't think it because even if you take on the initiative of self-study, so let's say, I mean, I love the, the app Clubhouse, right? Let's say you take that initiative and you say, I want to join uh, a club where I only listen in on conversations because often students are shy to speak, even if they don't know somebody, right? So you're only listening in on these conversations that still requires another person, right? Maybe it might not be in live real time. It could be offline, but you will always somehow require another person to help you learn it, to help you improve. Um, and it makes your life so much easier. And it's such an effective, you know, an effective uh, way of learning process. How about you? Yeah, I, I don't want to get too deep into biology here, but that's what makes humans superior to a lot of different animals. It's like we have the ability to teach and teach very, very efficiently and in numbers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree with what you said. It's going to make your life a million times easier if you yeah. use other people as well. I, However, I will say that you can definitely improve your communication skills on your own. Uh, and I even take it a step further and say that just like we were talking about earlier with presenting a speech, right. you can literally get reps training your mouth to pronounce certain words, pronounce certain things that you could see yourself saying in real life. And you can literally do that when you wake up in the morning, when you're in the shower, you can literally just express your thoughts out loud and actually train your mouth to speak out loud when you're in the yeah. shower. And those reps doing that at least daily, um, that'll definitely improve the spontaneity, at least, of how right. you communicate in English, for sure. So you can definitely, definitely work on it and improve it on your right. own. But I will say when you're learning it in the beginning stages, um, you're going to save yourself a ton of time by using other people as resources, yes. for sure. Yeah. And we have another question here from mm -hmm. Kent Clark. Thank you. What sources would you recommend for everyday conversational English? All of the sources that I'm learning from are fairly academic and formal. Hmm. Which sources we recommend for everyday conversational English? Personally, I've gone to heated debates with other English teachers or English instructors about this is, in my opinion, and maybe it's biased, not really, even before I started a podcast, I would say that podcasts are superior to TV shows and movies when it comes to observing conversational English. Yep. Um, I would say that because in a podcast, like I'm speaking with Ivana right now, um, these are more realistic conversations versus on a TV show or a movie, it's very dramatic and they may say or do things that 
don't really represent reality. Um, that's my opinion. And even like the other series and other series on this podcast that I do is just casual, organic conversations with other people about yep. whatever subject people uh, ask me to do on Instagram. So um, I would say that podcasts will give you a really good idea of how native English speakers or fluent English speakers converse with one another in a realistic manner. That's the resource that I would recommend to you. Yeah. Yeah. And even with what you mentioned was great because even if you're looking, you're let's say supporting um, us on Instagram, right? I'm not saying that everything is scripted because lives, for example, are super spontaneous. But if you look at certain videos, they are pre-planned, right? They have to be pre-planned to be engaging and to be clear, right? But they're not natural. Whereas a podcast, whether there's a video or not, right? It's, it's the most natural English conversation you can experience. And also you're able to listen to different um, paces of speech, right? Because some people might be a bit uh, faster. Some people might be slower. I mean, I interviewed, I don't know if you got the chance to see, I interviewed this little girl today. She was 11 and she's like fluent in English, but she lives in Iraq and she's, she's a very fast speaker. I mean, I think... Uh, even when I speak with my friends, I don't, this is the regular pace at which I speak, right? But she is very, very, very fast. So um, podcasts are, are a great way to to be exposed to all of these different ways of speech. Yeah, definitely. And then, yeah, live streams, like yeah. this one even. Um, this is pretty like unscripted for the most part. This yeah. is pretty like uncut. It's obviously unedited. So this yeah. is, if Ivana was right in front of me right now, this is probably how I'd be speaking to her. So yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So to conclude here, two questions that are a little more thoughtful here. So if you had to give advice to someone who's an absolute beginner learning English, uh, what's your advice? Where should they begin? How would you advise them? Um, I think for a beginner, it would have a lot to do with mindset. I'm a huge believer in mindset with any goals that we set, right? We have our own doubts about ourselves, right? We have our own, I guess, um, dispositions of a language. And I think that it's really important to speak to ourselves in a way that's very motivational. A lot of practices involving self-love. It sounds a little lame. I know some people listen to this and think, yeah, okay, but you know, when you're learning a new language, there's so much stress that comes with it um, that I think it for beginners, it's important to speak to yourself in a way that's motivational and to try to push yourself as much as you can and not focus on the mistakes, but kind of see them as as opportunities for growth. Yeah, mindset is definitely important. Yeah, I agree with that. And then um, putting together a good game plan, too, I'd say. Yeah. Um, you might want to get help from a real teacher or a real professional who has a track record of making people fluent in English from start to finish. If you right. can find someone who's bilingual in your native language as well, I mm -hmm. think that would help a ton. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people say, oh, I need like a native English speaker to teach me how to learn English. I would actually disagree. Um, <laughs> I think that if you can find someone who's bilingual in your native language, I think they're going to be able to relate to your struggle like a billion times more than yeah. any native English speaker could as a teacher 
Yeah. So the bilingual teachers I'd actually see as the most valuable ones, at least to the people who yeah. speak their language. And then um, now if you had to give advice to someone who's at the intermediate level, which it sounds like Flo and Kent Clark are, um, it seems like they know English for the most part, but maybe they want to enhance it. They want to go from, let's say, intermediate to advanced. What advice would you give to somebody like that? Mm. Uh, I would say that, first of all, make sure that you're constantly maintaining that level that you're at. What do I mean by this? Don't say, oh, you know, I'm already at this proficiency of English, so I can kind of slack off. If you do that, your language, <laughs> your, your proficiency will actually like get impacted by this. So try to maintain that, immerse yourself as much as possible, but then also challenge yourself. If you're already at the intermediate level, set goals for yourself that are, you know, those smart goals that are achievable, that are uh, time bound. We can talk about that more after, but if you guys want to Google smart goals, that's something that I definitely suggest for intermediate students trying to become advanced. How about you? Yeah, I'd agree for the most part. I'd say um, once you get to the intermediate level, well, you're probably going to get to the advanced level quicker. Yeah. But I really say it really just comes down to experience at that point. Uh, I think you can get to the intermediate level by doing all the drills or using all the resources that we talked about in this interview. But I think when it comes to getting advanced, um, it's just going to be how much time you really spend around native speakers, um, observing the culture of the English language, observing uh, when to use formal, informal, or slang, knowing all three, combining them all, understanding the different accents. All that stuff is not something you can really like open a book and just acquire. It's really acquired through experience. I'd say, in my opinion, that's the only way you can get there. And there's also different facets of English, like you could be advanced as in you take the IELTS exam or something and yeah. you get a really high score and you're really good at academic English. You know the grammar better than native speakers do <laughs> yeah. uh, because you study it so much. Um, so maybe you're proficient that way. But then when you go to a social setting, um, you speak super formally and you sound awkward. <laughs> so it happens I mean, so often, yeah. It's you can meet the definition of being advanced in English, but in my opinion, I think that doesn't matter that much if you can't really apply it properly in yeah. real life. So I think that's something that can only be acquired with experience. The earlier you start, the more time you have to get more experience. Great points. Yeah. Great points. And to conclude, if you can give one last piece of advice to all the people out there who are trying to learn English, they're struggling, um, what would you say to them? I would say that it's like we mentioned earlier, it's a lifelong process. It's not black and white. There's no magic pill you can take that will help you become fluent. It's a matter of consistency, um, finding purposeful resources, and creating goals that are achievable, that are realistic, and that you really, really, really have to, you know, find responsibility and you have to push yourself. Nobody else can push you more than you can push yourself. So just keep going and uh, stay consistent. That's what I would say. Yeah, definitely. And it might seem really hard at first, but believe me, once you um, get the hang of the grammar, you get the hang of the patterns, 
how this works, get the hang of the most common phrasal yeah. verbs and idioms that you hear every day in real life. Um, believe me, it will wash over. It will become second nature. It will get easier. It's just a matter of consistency and persistency. And one last comment from Flo here. I like to know my level in English. My question is that, sorry, I mean, shall I take an English test? Yeah, you can take an English test to see what your level is. If it's in A1, A2, B1, B2, or C1, C2. Uh -huh. But um, like we said, um, that's mainly for academic purposes. Um, right. I'd say that you should definitely be mindful of the experiences you get in real life with native English speakers and other English speakers. Definitely be mindful of it. Don't neglect it. A lot of people neglect slang English too. Don't neglect that. You're going to hear it. You're going to see yeah. it on the internet. So yeah. I try to make an emphasis on that on my Instagram page too. So don't, uh, don't forget about that. Absolutely. And Ivana, where can they find you? Yeah, so my primary account is on Instagram. My handle is at heart.of.learning. Um, I'm trying to slowly create a YouTube channel, which I'm really procrastinating on, but it'll happen soon. And uh, I'm also in the midst of creating an English course that will touch on mindset specifically and how we can kind of overcome anxieties and doubts and fears that we have related to uh, communicating in English. So yeah, you can also find my website at heartoflearning.ca, but my primary account is Instagram. Okay, sweet. And um, for all the people watching, follow us on our other social media platforms at Arc English. Um, we'll try to make sure that you learn something new every single day. We literally post three times every single day on all of our different platforms. And uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the video. It'll help the algorithm push it to other people trying to learn English. And uh, thank you for your time, Yvonne. And thank until you next for time, guys. Thank you, guys.